good morning, everybody. Stand with us this morning as we open in worship. We serve a great God, and we're going to sing about it. Splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, that all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, the darkness tries to hide, trembles at his voice. Trembles as his voice 
Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Give God a big hand praise on that. That's a great song. Great hymn. Great hymn. Let me read you a scripture that actually kind of hymns that song in. It comes from Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. We just did that. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come and they cringe to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. That's what we get to do, church, as we gather this morning. Welcome to Sunset Hills. So pleased that you're here with us. If you're new with us, we are so thankful that you're here. My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors. We're glad that you can come. If you would text hi to that number right there on the screen, we would love to respond and get into a dialogue with you. If you would like to meet me in the lobby at the end of our gathering, love to meet you have a little gift for you and just to say thanks for coming and answer questions about our church and our family here. Um, if you're if you're home, homeboy, homegirl right here, awesome to be in the house, isn't it? It's good to be in church this morning. It's a beautiful day to be able to gather with one another and make much of Jesus's name. So let me just pray us into now as we continue in an attitude and a posture of worship and praise, remembering it's a God that we can sing to. He's great. He's great and he greatly saves. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for gathering us here. We welcome you to be the Lord and the Savior and the King of this gathering service. This worship service is for you. May we be the kind of worshipers, as it says in your word, that worship in truth and in spirit, that you would find that our church is a church that is desiring to do that, to herald the name of Jesus into the Nolensville, Middle Tennessee, around the world, Lord. Use each and every man and woman and boy and girl that's regenerated and saved and loved by you, God, to be witnesses and instruments and tools of your grace to the culture around us, to be able to spread and proclaim the name and the love of Christ, to 
anybody that we can come in contact with. Enlarge our faith, Lord, as we continue to worship you. Thank you so much for the continuation of worshiping you in song. Lord, thank you that we'll be able to worship and continue to worship through the spoken word. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship of believers here. Father, for those who are stumbling and struggling in their faith, Lord, may today be a time of refreshing. Those who are questioning and doubtful about you being that great God, Lord, may you continue to convince and to guide. Jesus, you are good. And as a church, we're thankful for that. In Christ's name, amen.
Above all 
Several months ago now, I did what I do quite often as pastor of the church. I went to the hospital to visit someone who had been in and out of the hospital for some time. And it was a a time when there was a lot of joy because of what had happened um, previous to that. As I walked into the room and we exchanged pleasantries, I then was uh, greeted by saying, "Um, you want to see my scar? And this person just pulled up a shirt and showed me his scar. And I thought, whoa, whoa, that's that's incredible. You know what I did? I said, you want to see my scar? So I opened up my shirt and showed him my scar here. And I I tell you that, maybe it's not the best way to start out a sermon, but I am wearing my scar proudly. And um, I I want you to know also that Troy Mills is wearing his scar proudly because what those scars represent are miracles from God. 
And Troy is here this morning. Troy, I want you to stand up over there. Now, you can't just don't go rushing up to him after the service. They may sneak you out a little bit early. He's still in that phase where he can't catch anything. So, but we celebrate. We celebrate that you're here. Father, it's always good to see how you work in people's lives. Still in the business of performing miracles. We're grateful for what you've done for Troy and for many others who can testify to your goodness and your grace and your healing power. Yeah, I thank you for mine. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week we looked at an amazing story, a gospel story that really showed a lot of boldness and is contained in the book of Acts. It's a story of persecution, of courage, of trust, of stepping aside from personal comfort and carrying out God's purpose in the face of some really bad stuff that was taking place. It's a story of another miracle that God did whereby many people's lives were transformed. If you want to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16, I'm going to read some of what I read last week, and um, we'll kind of refresh ourselves, if you weren't here, with the reading from God's Word about this story. And when I, when I started uh, putting this sermon together, I really intended for it only be two parts. Well, as I was beginning to work on it, um, I'm adding a third part. So the third part of this, the three-week series, is going to be next week. And we're going to find out the response of the magistrates and how they handle things and talk about um, Paul and Silas at that time. But we're going to back up this morning and read about what kind of put them in a situation and then the response to that. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female, female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. 
When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragging, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city in an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And that's where we got to last week. All this bad stuff that we just read about happening to Paul and Silas, and these men had done nothing wrong trying to do a good thing, and because of it, they're locked up in a prison cell. And my goodness, how horribly they were treated for what they had done. And they respond by praying and singing hymns in spite of their condition. Their response is a great lesson for us when trouble comes. They were to respond in prayer and worship. There's always a choice, as I talked about last week, and between whining or worship, between griping or praying. Whining and griping gets you nothing except further down the spiral of depression. Praying and worship is so much better of a choice because it's addressing the very one who can speak into your situation and do something about it. So I just gave you last week's 45-minute sermon in about three minutes or less. I'm not going to do that well on the rest of my sermon, I can assure you. Come on, folks, laugh. That was a joke, all right? Now look at the last part of verse 25, and I'm just a little loud up here if you could turn me down maybe in the monitors. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Someone is always watching to see how we are going to respond to situations. There's a story about a woman who was taking her children out to a restaurant, and her six-year-old son asked if he could say grace. And he prayed this prayer. God is great. God is good. Thank you for the food, and I would even thank you more if mom gets us ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all. Amen. There was a lot of laughter, as there was here, from other customers who heard. But a nearby woman remarked, That's what's wrong with this country. Kids today don't even know how to pray. Asking God for ice cream, I never. The boy heard this and burst into tears and asked his mom, Did I do it wrong? Is God mad at me? As the mom held him and assured him, that he had done a terrific job saying the prayer, an elderly man approached the table. He winked at the boy and said, I happen to know that God thought that that was a great prayer. 
The boy brightened up. Really? Cross my heart, the man said. And then in a theatrical whisper, he added, indicating the woman whose remark had started this whole thing. Too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. Naturally, the mother brought her, bought her kids ice cream at the end of the meal. Her son stared at it was his for a moment. And then he picked it up, carried that Sunday over without saying a word, walked right over and placed it in front of the woman who had been so critical. And with a big smile, he told her, Here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes, and my soul is good already. Yeah? You know what that little boy did? He proclaimed God. He worshiped God in his prayer. And in his worship, something else happened. He witnessed. We need to realize that worship is not something we do just here on Sunday mornings here in this building. Worship is something we must learn to do beyond these walls because when we worship, we witness. People pay attention to what we do and what we say and also this, how we say it. This week I met with Paulette Prince. Paulette's sitting right over here with her daughters and grandchildren, granddaughter. Paulette's been coming to our church for a few years now. If you don't know her, you'll get a chance to meet her at the end of the service. We were talking, and she was telling me about the time that she accepted the Lord when she was 9 or 10 years old. She was later baptized in a river, in the Johns River in Ohio. Is that right? North Carolina. It's in North Carolina, not Ohio. Close, yeah, well... A state or two off. Her parents were not attending church at the time. It moved them so much because of the decision she made, they started attending, started attending church. And she told me about how all of this began to change her parents' life, that her dad eventually becomes a deacon in the church. A child led the family to the Lord. That's happened often, has it not? We never know what good will come to a situation when we're doing what God wants us to do. When Paul and Silas had every right to do anything but pray and sing hymns. Their worship became a witness. Locked up in that innermost secure part of the prison, their feet confined in stocks. While they're praying and singing, suddenly there was such an earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken.
once. All the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Now, what would you have done if you'd heard those chains fall off? If you'd been the ones who'd been in stocks? Think about it. You've been thrown in jail unjustly, and that's after you've been beaten and whipped and... No one cared about your injuries. They just throw you into the jail cells and place you in chains, stocks. And by the way, you just survived an earthquake. And now your chains have fallen off. Run, baby, run. That's what I'd do. I'd get... Out of Dodge. I started to say, get the heck out of Dodge. You thought I'd say something else, didn't you? I'd be out of there. Get out while you can. But that's not what happened. The jailer woke up, verse 27, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The cell doors were open. The shackles had fallen from their feet. All they had to do to gain their freedom was leave. And why didn't they? I'll tell you the reason why. It's because God wanted them there in that place. They didn't because there was a greater purpose for them staying than there was in their personal gain or agenda. As compelling as freedom was, an even greater purpose existed. I'm not going to take the time to really speak into that, but you you should already be figuring out that there is a lesson there for us. Sometimes there's something greater for us to do that God wants us to do, and it might mean that we give up something else in order to do what God wants us to do. And oftentimes that might require our personal comfort or our personal agenda. Amen? The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Have you ever experienced a situation... Maybe something that was really scary, that bad that happened to you. Maybe an accident you were involved in and you went through it not quite realizing just how bad it was until maybe a few minutes later or an hour later or so, and then it dawns on you just how close you came to a disaster. It shook you to the core Maybe even caused you to become very weak knee. And if somebody looked at you, they would see that all the blood had 
drained out of your face, and you were as pale as you could be, almost on the verge of of fainting or throwing up, and left you trembling. Have you ever experienced something like that? I have. You just kind of sit in that kind of shock state you're in. You're thinking, wow, that could have been really bad. If you've been there, you may be close to knowing how the guard felt that day. He knew what he would face if those prisoners had been gone. It wasn't going to be good for him if they escaped. He was going to have to face people, his bosses, and that whole situation, the Bible describes, left him trembling so much so he realizes his fate and he decides, well, I might as well just off myself. So he draws his sword. And Paul interrupts him. He says, whoa, don't do that. We're all here. It doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense, does it? God often operates that way. He doesn't do things necessarily in logic. And a man is so moved by this, he brought them out and asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, kind of get yourself into the the picture of all of this. He has just gone through all all of this trauma, and he is so humbled by the experience that those prisoners are still there. I think he's beginning to realize that there's something greater going on here than what normally I feel. I think he's sensing the presence of God, and that God has just done a miracle. What must I do to be saved? From this guard who treated them so mean and so viciously, not doing anything to humbly asking them a question, what can I do to be saved? And therein is the reason they stayed. God didn't want them leaving that jail cell because he had a purpose for them being there. He wanted them to witness to this jailer. He he wanted the man to be saved. It's the same man who hours earlier had treated them so harshly, vindictively, part of their misery. And Paul and Silas had every reason to just say, hey, you know what? We hate you. We don't like what you did to us. We despise you. But instead, they witnessed to him. Has there ever been a time 
that God was calling you to do something that would speak into someone's life that you don't really like? Think about that for a second. Someone that you despise? And God's still calling you to speak into their life. Could be a family member. Could be a co-worker at your job. Could be just that you've got a prejudice against a, a certain kind of people. Someone that doesn't want to be around you. Maybe they've hurt you and you've cared for them in times past and maybe they're mean-spirited and harsh or whatever the reason you don't like them and they don't like you. And you'd just soon not to have to witness to them. In fact, you may go with the other opposite. I'm going to treat them the way that they treat me. I'm going to give them the what for. I'm going to give them what they deserve. Not the kind of people you want to be in church with you. You certainly don't want to talk about Christ with them. And frankly, you might be thinking, they really don't deserve Christ. What they really deserve. Lord, I know I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to think this, but you know what? They really just deserve hell. I'm wondering how many times Christian people basically Maybe with their actions, tell people that. I really don't care where you spend eternity. You might as well just go to hell. You didn't come for this sermon this morning, did you? <laughs> Is there someone that you know makes you feel that way? Maybe that's exactly the person who needs to hear about Jesus. Before you get all high and mighty about it, you might need to consider where you are. The Bible does a pretty good job of describing. Now, well, let me, let me, let me, wait, let me back up. Might want to consider where we are, because I'm included in this. Here's what the Bible says. Again, I'm speaking to people who think they're high and mighty in a situation. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're exactly where that person is, basically. Maybe we just demonstrated it in a different way. But we've been there. It says, You, me, we've all sinned against God. We've all done things that hurt Him. We've said, done things, thought about things that has alienated us from God. Colossians 1.21 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Before we became Christians, Colossians says, you and I were God's enemies. And guess what? If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you're still an enemy with God. 
Ephesians 2, 1, through 3, or 1 and 3 says, As for you, this is before you became Christians, you were dead in your transgressions, and so you were enemies, and you're dead in your transgressions and sins, and all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's who we were. Objects of wrath. In other words, if you and I got what we deserved, we'd all go to hell. But, don't you love it, the fact that there's a but here? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what was happened? What happened to this guy? The one that God gave, sort of the same thing except to a greater extent of what was happening with Paul and Silas. He was sentenced to death when he had done nothing wrong except pay for my sin and your sin. God paid this terrible price so that you and I could move from that of being an enemy with God to a friend of God to becoming part of his family. I think part of what may have motivated Paul to to understand where this prison guard was because he knew the condition that he had been saved from, that he, in fact, was an enemy with God also, that he had participated in some of the same persecution that he had had received, he he had done this to other believers in the early church. I think Paul understood, you know, that's where I was, and now this is where I'm at in God's family, and I don't want this man who had done inflicted so much pain to us to be at the same place. I don't want his life to end in that same place I was because I received grace. I'm going to give him some grace. He understood that. Maybe he understood the whole concept of what forgiveness is. Showing this man, telling him about how to be saved because the salvation had been so freely given to Paul himself. He had been shown mercy, so why why not in turn show this kind of mercy to others? I often wonder about people who refuse to offer mercy and forgiveness to others when they've been shown so much mercy and forgiveness. That ever cross your mind? ever see someone who has been offered forgiveness and they turn right around as if nothing ever happened to them? Remember the parable that Jesus told about the one who was forgiven a huge debt but turned right around and didn't forgive someone who owed the very same man who had been forgiven a smaller debt? He didn't forgive his debt. Jesus emphatically taught that we're to forgive because people deserve it. No. We're to forgive because it's just a good thing to do. No. 
Because it might give us good standing in the community. No. We're to forgive as we have been forgiven. Remember what he taught us, how he taught us to pray? Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's Jesus teaching that principle. Paul and Silas have been treated badly by the prison guard, and yet they show concern when they could have chosen to take an out revenge. We're given an opportunity to witness to people who have not been nice to us. It may be our chance to repay God for his kindness in saving us as well. It's our opportunity to show God we get it. We understand where we were and where he has taken us to. And in that, we're like that little boy who takes his ice cream and gives it to a lady. He honored God. And if we're willing to forgive others as we have been forgiven, maybe not by them, but by forgiven by God, it's a chance for us to honor God also. Paul repaid God by witnessing Someone who didn't like him, mistreated him. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. They're telling him how to be saved. It's not something you could do, jailer. You can't just all of a sudden start treating your prisoners better. You, you can't just earn your way into it by doing something. He says, the only thing you really can do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's how you're going to be saved. That is your formula. That is your direction. You will be saved because your belief. He goes on, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of God to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. What a turnaround for this man. From this harsh treatment now to washing and treating the rooms, and from the response of all his household, then immediately he and his household were baptized. I think that his household were following his example. Actions that were being witnessed by them that caused them to say, hey, I'm in that same situation. I need to be baptized also. One of the things that Paulette told me about her salvation when it happened, how she came to know the Lord, was actually during a baptismal service at the river in North Carolina. She wanted what they had received. So as the church gathered at the river in this baptismal service, Paulette decided to give her heart to Jesus, and right then and there she got baptized. No extra set of clothes to change into. Imagine what her parents thought when she showed up after church and she's all wet. <laughs> That's what happened with the jailer. His family all got baptized. 
Verse 34, he says, The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Did you catch that? He was filled with joy. His whole outlook on life changed. His family's destiny had changed. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Leads me to a question about your salvation. If you've been saved, you've had this encounter with Christ, and you've asked him to come be your Savior and Lord, have you become so accustomed to the life that you have in Christ that it's just kind of like hmm, just the same old kind of life. I mean, are you able to sing in appreciation something like the old hymn that says, Great is thy faithfulness New mercies I see. And you want to just sing that to the top of your voice, with just singing out because it becomes so joyful for you that you can't help but keep it, but to let it come out. And that it almost, the joy is so real of your salvation that it can't help but just spill out over to others. Is there a point in your life right now where that exists? Or is it just, Ho-hum, blase, that the joy is missing. Well, what, Steve, you don't know all the troubles I'm going through. Look at Paul and Silas. Does your life compare to them? No. And yet, what were they doing? What were they doing? Singing and praising God. Are you able to do that even when life is hard? You know what? We have, even, we have a hard enough time doing it when life is easy. And we can learn a lot by, about living as an example that would entice others to follow Christ from this account in Paul, Paul and Silas. Just quickly, let me tell you a couple of things. Three. As we think through what Paul and Silas was doing, here's one thing that they did. They made it obvious who they belonged to. There was no secret with them. Everybody in the prison knew that they loved Jesus and belonged to him. Even though the cost of their following Jesus was great, they were willing to go the distance and then some. They made it obvious. And the next thing they did was they made it obvious that they cared about the prison guard. All the religious talk, the praise and worship is meaningless if we do not let people know that we care about them. 
What takes place up here on Sunday mornings, whether it be the worship team or me standing behind the pulpit, if we, if, if we can have a beautiful job doing all the things that we do, if we cannot show people that we love them and care for them, then it's worthless. Amen? I don't care if you're a, a, a life group leader or a deacon in our church or if you're just, uh, just a, a layperson in this congregation. If you cannot show people that you love them and you care for them, your witness is phony, worthless. We have to let people know we care. When an earthquake shook that jail, it shook the jailer's world as well. And when he woke up, he saw all the prison doors were open, and he's convinced his life was over. And if the prisoners escaped, he would pay for it with his life. So he decided to avoid the horror execution by taking his own life. Paul sees it and interrupts him and says, don't do that. I mean, why should he be concerned about it? Why should he care whether or not the jailer hurts himself. But he gets it. He's caring for him. He knows that this man's life is in the balance. And he knows if he takes his life in a split second where he was going to be. And knowing that, he reaches out, even to the extent that as he places a greater value on the jailer's life than he does his own. He forgoes escaping. I care about you more than I care about me. And that's where we need to watch for that kind of opportunity to share Jesus. When all the rest of the world has turned their back on someone who's hurting and needs God to speak into their life, that's a great opportunity for us to show up. But we have to be in tune with it. We have to be willing to set our agenda aside and look for a greater purpose, a kingdom purpose, rather than our own. Can we do that? Can we get to a point to where we say there's greater purpose in what we're about as a church than there is in our own comfort? These are times when people need to hear the message of hope from God. I can't help but wonder, I mean, how many people are sitting in their homes every Sunday morning just waiting, hoping that someone will speak into their life. Maybe they don't know it's about Jesus yet, but they're hurting and lonely, and they need Jesus to talk. They need, they need us to talk to them and maybe speak Jesus into their life. And we saw what happened when the jailer experienced this. He was curious. He wanted to know. And he and his family were all baptized. So you have to do two things. Be obvious about who you belong to 
make it obvious that you care about them as an individual. There's one more thing I think we can learn from this. Is God can use the bad stuff we go through as a witness for others to see him. I kind of did a sub kind of note to this. When good became bad, that became good again. They were doing good. It became bad. But then it became good again. God can use the bad stuff we go through as a witness for others to see him. Sometimes what we go through is it isn't about us. It certainly isn't pleasant when we're going through it. It might even be hard for us to understand why it is we're going through this. I, I get it. I understand that. But it could be that we go through some bad stuff that God, so that God can use what we're going through as a witness for others to see how we respond. It's hard. Absolutely, it's hard. You can't do it without God's presence and help. But when it's there, it serves as a witness so others can see. Now, this whole thing, I mean, miracles are happening all through this story. Paul and Silas, they certainly experienced a miracle in the fact that, that the earthquake happens. Was it coincidental? No. I don't believe so. I mean, the earthquake happens, the foundations of jail shake violently, the doors fly open, and the chains fly off. You might, okay, you might just think, well, the earthquake was just coincidental. Okay. I mean, earthquakes happened. I mean, there's one just happened, what, two weeks ago that took out a lot of people? You could even maybe argue that the doors opened because the walls were moving and the locks kind of just didn't line up anymore. Maybe you could argue that. But you'd be hard-pressed to understand how the stocks just opened up. But maybe you've got some common-sense, logical explanation as to how their feet were loose from the stocks. Okay, I'll give you those three. But what about the fact that this violent earthquake was happening all around them and things fall in an earthquake in a prison. There's, there's stones falling and there's stuff going around everywhere around them and not one single prisoner died that night. Okay, I just proved that a miracle happened. Oh, the miracle was taking place all around them. And Paul and Silas could have said, oh, wow, we've been praying, we've been praising God, and now our miracle has happened, and what do they do? They just sit there. Well, aren't they going to take advantage of the miracle? No. You know why? Because the miracle wasn't for them. The miracle 
was for the jailer and his family. All of that was orchestrated by God to carry out the purpose of what he wanted them to do. And their response became their witness. A young family worker noticed one day that a valuable tool was missing from his toolbox. Oh, don't come to my shop and get my tools. Later, he recognized in the toolbox, he recognized it in the toolbox of a fellow employee, a young man who was the only Christian in the shop. And so he knew that how he responded, he wanted to be careful to make sure he had a good testimony for the others that were there. So he went home and he prayed about the matter. <laughs> he didn't just respond, you got my tool, give it back. He went home and he prayed about it. The next day he went to the man and said, I see you have one of my tools, but... You may keep it if you need it. He went on in his work and put the incident out of his mind. During the next two weeks, the person who had taken the tool tried to soothe his conscience. First, he offered the young man something of equal value. Then he offered to help, help him on some projects. And finally, he slipped some money into the man's coat pocket. Ultimately, something else was taking place. They became friends. And the one-time tool thief started, get this, coming to church with his new Christian friend and eventually made the decision to follow Christ. All because of a Christian factory worker who was willing to make it obvious that he trusted God and showed that he cared and was they willing to allow a bad thing to turn into good? Would you pray with me, please? I pray, Father, we would just look at our own lives and we would look to this example of what Paul and Silas did, how they responded and how their misery, how their hurt how what they were going through personally was able to become their witness. Maybe there's someone here, Father, that their witness may have been damaged in times past as to how they responded. Or maybe there's someone here, Father, that on their list of people that they have going through their mind, that they have someone that they despise. And they don't want to be around. Yet they know that that person needs to be Jesus, needs to, to know Jesus, or needs to have Jesus speak into their life. I pray, Father, that right now they begin to 
to say, Lord, I don't want to. I, I really don't, but I, I know that you could probably use me in this situation, and I pray for an opportunity to speak into their life. Or maybe there's someone here, Father, that is yet to really know Jesus as Savior, Lord, you're like the jailer. And that were to be the case, if you were to die today, you would be outside of the presence of God and your soul would be eternally doomed for a place called hell, that separated place from God. Maybe today's the day you're calling them to come to Christ and surrender their life to you. Father, maybe there's some other thing going on in someone's life here right now, and you're, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're convicting them of where they are, and you're saying, hey, I love you. I care for you. Now let's just, let's just put all this other stuff aside. and No more than anything else, I came to give my life so that you could have life and have joy. Speak, Father, into that person's life. Maybe there's someone here that needs to come to this altar, spend some time with you, or get some encouragement through prayer. You're calling us to do something, Father. May we be obedient to you right now. Jesus' name, as we stand and as we sing.
forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And may that cause so much joy to swell up in us that we don't take it for granted. And it spills out into other people's lives and touches them. Use us, Father, to do this. Use us, Father. Jennifer, I'm going to pass it off to you to talk about uh, women's Bible stages for a moment. Hey ladies, my name is Jennifer Trammell, um, and I wanted to remind you that our women's Bible studies have started, but that doesn't mean that there's not lots of time for you to jump in. Um, I am leading one of the studies on Tuesday night. Cheryl Lewis is leading a Wednesday night study. I wanted to just speak a minute because after hearing Pastor Steve's sermon about Paul and Silas and how they fought back with joy, uh, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a tool we don't use very much. And I have just really enjoyed this study teaching uh, me how to, how to employ the tools that God has given. We're, we're in a battle every day, and as Christians, we should reflect the goodness of God in our mannerisms and in our face, and people should look at us and say, wow, I want what they have. So I just would invite you to come on Tuesday nights or on Wednesday nights. The Tuesday night study is pretty casual and just hopefully an uplifting, encouraging time for everybody to um, 
just renew that strength that we get from the joy of the Lord. Thanks. Amen. Hey, um, we are uh, having our parking lot resurfaced, resurfaced and restriped, and so uh, I know it's affecting Friday friends. Um, so make sure that you uh, pay attention to what's going on in the bulletin there uh, for the ministries that are coming up to make sure um, we're trying to kind of close off that that side of the parking lot there to make sure that actually we're closing off the entire the parking thing, lot the whole so thursday and friday the parking lot will be closed off because so we can seal up you can't get to the new parking lot without driving onto the old parking lot so if you're coming to church on thursday and friday don't come that's the only time i'll ever tell you not to come to church okay uh, so that they can get that done. There is an event here Friday night that, that should be done by then, but we want to make sure that we're not, you don't want to leave your mark driving across our newly painted parking spaces, right? Right, right, right? Yeah. Are you done? Finish. Okay, you, you, can, you can go. Because I have a few more things to do. Um, Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take want, a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us, and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.